Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. She visits Russia as Cold War 2.0 gets hotter. The troll known as Microchip takes the stand in the Douglas Mackey trial. And we discuss the Trump indictment that somehow didn't happen, despite the feverish predictions. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. According to reporting from the Associated Press, Russian President Vladimir Putin warmly welcomed Chinese leader Xi Jinping to the Kremlin on Monday, sending a powerful message to Western leaders that their efforts to isolate Moscow over the fighting in Ukraine have fallen short. Xi's trip, his first abroad since his re-election earlier this month, showed off Beijing's new diplomatic swagger and gave a political lift to Putin just days after an international arrest warrant was issued for the Kremlin leader on war crimes charges related to Ukraine. The two major powers have described Xi's three-day trip as an opportunity to deepen their no-limits friendship. China looks to Russia as a source of oil and gas for its energy-hungry economy and a partner in standing up to what both see as U.S. aggression, domination of global affairs, and unfair punishment for their human rights records. The two countries, among the five U.N. Security Council's permanent members, have also held joint military drills. U.S. officials have picked up indications that China is considering supplying Russia with weapons for its fight in Ukraine, but have seen no evidence that they've actually done so. Continuing here with the AP's coverage, they write, In their four and a half hours of talks, along with a dinner that included a Pacific seafood platter and roast venison in cherry sauce, Putin would offer Xi a, quote, detailed explanation, unquote, of Moscow's actions in Ukraine, according to Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov. Broader talks on a range of subjects were scheduled for later in the week. For Putin, Xi's presence is a prestigious diplomatic boost to show partnership in the face of Western efforts to isolate Russia over Ukraine. In an article published in the Chinese People's Daily newspaper, Putin described Xi's visit as a, quote, landmark event, unquote, that, quote, reaffirms the special nature of the Russia-China partnership, unquote, and said the meeting signaled that the two countries aren't prepared to accept attempts to weaken them. Quote, the U.S. policy of simultaneously deterring Russia and China, as well as those who do not bend to the American diktat, is getting ever fiercer and more aggressive, unquote. He wrote. Russia seemingly needed this visit a lot more than the Chinese. What does she want to accomplish with his commitment to closer ties to Putin? More than anything, she wants a multipolar world. He rejects the idea of the United States as the world's sole superpower, and he wants China to have a seat at the table. He believes an alliance with Moscow makes this more likely, not less, so their friendship continues. So then what does Putin want? I think the article laid it out pretty well, but I think Putin would love it if the Chinese would increase their aid to Russia's war of choice in Ukraine. Not sure 
how likely that is in the short term, but it remains something that I'm sure he's going to keep pressing for. But right now, Putin needed the legitimacy of this visit and to not appear so isolated on the world stage. And this did go a long way towards achieving that. So there was some debate over whether she would actually go to Moscow. And that's partially because the International Criminal Court, or ICC, issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. Clearly, she wasn't phased by this and went to Moscow anyway. But let's talk about the ICC arrest warrant for Putin. What is it and why is that important? Let me just read the ICC report itself. They wrote, Today, 17th March 2023, pre-trial Chamber 2 of the International Criminal Court issued arrest warrants, issued warrants of arrest for two individuals in the context of the situation in Ukraine, Mr. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin and Ms. Maria Alexeyevna Lvova-Belova. Mr. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin... Born on 7th October 1952, President of the Russian Federation, is allegedly responsible for the war crime of unlawful deportation of population, children, and that of unlawful transfer of population, children, from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation. The crimes were allegedly committed in Ukrainian-occupied territory at least from 24 February 2022. There are reasonable grounds to believe that Mr. Putin bears individual criminal responsibility for the aforementioned crimes. One, for having committed the acts directly, jointly with others and or through others. And two, for his failure to exercise control properly over civilian and military subordinates who committed the acts or allowed for their commission and who were under his effective authority and control pursuant to superior responsibility. Okay. But as long as Putin stays in power, there's no real chance of this warrant being enforced, is there? Not really, no. But certain EU countries have come out and said that they will arrest Putin if he sets foot on their territory, which of course means he probably never will again. It's really isolating for the Russian leader, and it really cements his pariah status in the Western world. It's safe for Putin as long as he stays in Russia and as long as he's in power, but otherwise he becomes much less secure. It may feel like a symbolic gesture right now, but it does increase pressure on the Kremlin, which is a good thing. Uh, Putin doesn't want to be in this situation. Who would? No, but she sent out a lifeline for Putin anyway. Shouldn't, Shouldn't he have thought twice about this? Maybe he should have. I'm sure he did think twice and debate and weigh the consequences but for better or worse he knows what he's doing here he's pushing the limits and he's daring the western world to respond and right now all we really see are the official statements the u.s has been pretty clear that we're not happy i saw plenty of speeches especially in the senate you've got senate majority leader schumer has denounced this visit and has denounced the budding alliance between Russia and China. Uh, There were plenty of Senate Republicans who were still rather vocal in their condemnation of this. We can at least uh, for the moment still rely on a good number of of Senate Republicans to push back on that. We can't can't really expect the same in the House anymore, can we? No, no. The House seems to be totally fine with a whole lot of this, depending on who you ask. But wow, have the MAGA side of things totally come out in favor of pretty much anything these two guys want to do, it seems. 
Yeah, of course, MAGA is is leaning pretty heavily into blaming this alliance on Joe Biden. And somehow Joe Biden's weakness or poor choices or something is responsible. Here's Tucker Carlson blaming Biden for this. For 100 years, she got it right. Since the close of the First World War, the United States has been the preeminent nation on Earth. For 40 of those years, we were locked in a Cold War with the Soviet Union, of course. But at no time, no matter what they may have claimed, was there ever really a question about who was the most powerful country. We were the most powerful country. It was the American era. That era just ended a little over two years into Joe Biden's presidency. But amazingly, no one in this country seems to notice that it happened. That story is not leading the news tonight. Instead, we're arguing about whether or not to arrest Donald Trump for a fake crime to keep him from running for president again. This this relationship has been growing since she came to power. It, it's been a good 10 years in the making. It's about 2013. The Russian leader and the Chinese leader have been meeting more. They've been signing plenty of agreements. They've just increased cooperation kind of slowly but steadily. And I don't... Did Biden stop it? No. Did Trump stop it? Absolutely not. He made it easier for both of them. Did Obama stop it? No, I guess not. But what exactly were they supposed to do here? Right. You have two authoritarian leaders who it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And there's there's a limit to what anyone in the United States can do about it. So Reuters covered the White House's response to Xi's decision. The White House urged Chinese President Xi Jinping on Monday to use his visit to Moscow this week to tell Russian President Vladimir Putin to respect Ukraine's sovereignty and end Russia's war against Ukraine. John Kirby, the White House national security spokesman, told reporters that the United States is concerned that Xi, currently on a trip to Moscow, will reiterate calls for a ceasefire that would leave Russian forces inside of Ukrainian sovereign territory. Kirby said she should speak with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky about the impact of the war in Ukraine. And I would just say that Zelensky has stated that he's open to that and that even though the peace proposal that China put out there was not very favorable to the Ukrainians, Zelensky understands that if he isn't involved in the conversations, if he doesn't at least attempt to put his ideas and his thoughts out there that the Chinese will ignore him. And maybe they want to, and maybe they don't care what he has to say, but he's put out the feelers and at least tried to have these conversations. The Chinese just aren't showing much uh, willingness to partake in them. Is the White House saying that because China's peace proposal, which was fairly light on details, nevertheless sided with Putin? Yeah, I think so. But China has stayed somewhat timidly on Russia's side from the beginning of this war. The, the danger now is their support increases as a result of this visit. This could be very bad for Ukraine and the West more generally, but it will come with cause for the Chinese government, and they know this. So nothing seems definitive yet, but we may know a lot more in the coming weeks. So the details of the peace proposal aren't really all that clear, but the AP did their best to make sense of it. Let me read a little bit of that here. China's proposal calls for a ceasefire and peace talks and an end to sanctions against Russia. China placed responsibility for sanctions on other, quote, relevant countries, unquote, without naming them. These countries, it says, should stop abusing unilateral sanctions and do their share in de-escalating the Ukraine crisis. Many of the 12 points were very general and did not contain specific proposals. 
without mentioning either Russia or Ukraine, it says sovereignty of all countries should be upheld. It didn't specify what that would look like for Ukraine and the land taken from it since Russia seized Crimea in 2014. The proposal also condemns a, quote, Cold War mentality, unquote, a term that often refers to the United States and the U.S.-European military alliance NATO. Quote, the security of a region should not be achieved by strengthening or expanding military blocks, unquote, the proposal says. Russian President Vladimir Putin demanded a promise that Ukraine will not join the bloc before the invasion. Other points call for a ceasefire, peace talks, protection for prisoners of war, and stopping attacks on civilians without elaborating, as well as keeping nuclear power plants safe and facilitating grain exports. The basic tone and fundamental message in the policy is quite pro-Russia, said Li Mingjiang, a professor of Chinese foreign policy and international security at Singapore's Nanyang Technological University. We've talked about this a lot, though, haven't we? China has clearly sided with Russia from the beginning. Right. Chinese state-owned media have used the same terms as their Russian state-owned media counterparts. Things like saying it's a, quote, special operation in Ukraine, not a war. The Chinese have blamed NATO expansion. They've said the U.S. provoked Russia into invading. They've amplified coverage of the so-called, quote, neo-Nazis, unquote, in Ukraine. Blamed the CIA for meddling in Ukraine's politics. None of this is accurate. But these are all mainstays of Kremlin propaganda, and the Chinese have frequently repeated them. Yeah, and even even Matt Gates repeated them in Congress, didn't he? Uh-huh. Uh, the, the <laughs> he got caught uh, sharing an article from China Daily that, Ooh. which is a Chinese state-owned media, yeah, that talked about those Ukrainian Nazis and <laughs> good going, Matt. <laughs> got, yeah, that was a that was a real embarrassing one. That was not the part he's supposed to say out loud. Indeed. How did how did China Daily end up on your sheet there, Matt Gates? But it did. That's a great question, man. He's got some interesting staffers on site, no doubt. Yeah, this uh, it kind of reminds me of the time we found out Stephen Miller was passing out V Dare at the Trump White House. It's it's really interesting when you get a close look at what these guys are reading. Ooh. But uh, yeah, the the Russians and the Chinese have increased trade quite a bit over the years. They've participated in several joint business ventures related to oil and natural gas. Both countries have participated in a number of military exercises together. The list goes on. Putin and Xi are authoritarians who use each other's position to legitimize their own. It was interesting because Xi wrote an op-ed that appeared in Russian media, and Putin wrote his own op-ed that appeared in Chinese media. They're, they're putting out all the good vibes here. It may be a marriage of convenience, but at least it's logical from their perspective. At the end of the visit, when both leaders were saying their farewells, there was an interesting exchange that we should mention. I'm reading here from The Independent in the UK. Xi Jinping had a parting comment about China for his, quote, dear friend Vladimir Putin as he concluded his two-day trip to Moscow. On Tuesday evening, Mr. Xi shook Mr. Putin's hand and talked about unprecedented change. Quote, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we are driving this change together, he said. I agree, replied Mr. Putin, to which the Chinese leader responded, take care of yourself, dear friend, please, and waved goodbye to the Russian president, who wished him a safe journey. Mr. Xi's ominous farewell message comes just hours after it was reported that the Russian president condemned British plans to send Ukraine tank ammunition that contains depleted uranium and said that Moscow would be forced to respond accordingly. 
Yeah, I really did note the 100 years comment because you've mentioned this before, and it's true. Uh, China sees things from a much longer historical perspective than we do. Yeah, correct. They just aren't a culture that is used to looking at things on a American timeline, which tends to be right now, right here, everything. We don't have much of an attention span here these days, it seems. Whereas the Chinese have more of a perspective that this is a long struggle. This is going to be a long Cold War 2.0. And one of their big bets right now is that we don't have the attention span to handle that. Yeah, and I hope they're wrong. Me too. Now, let's dig into some updates from the Ricky Vaughn trial as Microchip took the stand for the prosecution. The infamous alt-right troll and bot king Microchip took the stand in the Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn trial that we discussed in our last episode. Mackey is charged with election interference and accused of spreading, quote, misinformation designed to deprive individuals of their constitutional right to vote, unquote. Microchip is the government's cooperating witness in their case against Mackey, and the operator of the microchip accounts and persona has been allowed to maintain his anonymity because he's cooperating with the government on several unspecified ongoing cases. We believe it's worth covering Microchip's testimony in particular because what he said speaks to the greater MAGA movement as a whole. The person behind this account was coordinating his messaging with several prominent pro-Trump influencers in 2016 and beyond. He helped make 4chan memes not just part of the political discussion. They've since become in many ways the driving force behind right-wing politics. The tactics he uses have been copied by many people who made a name for themselves since 2016 on the political right by adhering to one strict rule, never stop posting. Michael Hayden over at the Southern Poverty Law Center's Hate Watch is covering this trial, and he did his best to quote the prosecutor's questions and Microchip's answers to those questions. We're going to repeat those here. This is from Michael Edison Hayden. Question, did you think this was a valid way of voting? Re-election disinformation. Microchip, not at all. That's specifically referring to the the meme that is part of the, the trial, claiming that that. Ricky Vaughn, Douglas Mackey, disenfranchised voters. So they're asking him, did you think that this meme was a real way people could vote? Not at all. They, they, it's shitposting. They knew they're shitposting. Right, right. Question asking why he posted so much in 2016. Microchip, to destroy the reputation of Hillary Clinton. On using humor in political memes. Microchip, when people are laughing, they're very easy to manipulate. Oof. Yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah, sort of says a lot about the entire strategy that they've used from here going backwards. This is always something that they can walk back. It's always a joke. It's always a shit post. We're never serious. We're always just kidding. Yeah, we don't really mean that Hillary Clinton drinks blood and murders people. We didn't. That was just that was a meme I saw on 4chan. Now, if some Mm -hmm. people who listen to me and some of my hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers internalize that joke and think I'm serious. Well, that's, they just, you know, did their own research. That's not, uh, that's not on me. Nope. Yeah. It's a joke. It's, oh, we're just having fun. We're just posting online. But these are messages that even with humor, they're seeping into the consciousness of the base of the people that are following along. And it, and it certainly has. On his strategy of using disinformation on Twitter, Microchip, 
I wanted our message to move from Twitter to regular society. I wanted to infect everything. Woo. That's a, that's a heavy one. And it really tracks with a lot of what we've seen in the last few years with the usage of Twitter as sort of the tip of the information spear. This is where things start. And from here they move into the rest of society. And that's not necessarily a good thing. It definitely wasn't in this case. No, it, it moves from 8chan or 4chan to Twitter, to podcasts and rumble videos and to Tucker Carlson's show. And eventually it heads to Kevin McCarthy and it becomes a a law or proclamation or what have you. We started to see this pipeline in 2017 and it's just gotten worse and worse. And yeah, it's, it's less like politics is downstream from culture. And at this point it's politics is downstream from shit posting. Yeah, this is not a good thing. Not great. Question on whether what he posted needed to be true. Microchip, quote, no, and I didn't care. See, the guy had a goal. The guy had something he was trying to achieve in mind, and he didn't particularly care how he got there. No. Whether it was posting things that he absolutely knew weren't true to get people to react a certain way, whether it was buying tons and tons of bots, which he also admitted to in his testimony, to make things look like they were organic when they weren't. This guy was out there on message and woe be to anyone who got in his way. Question about how he handled the hacked Podesta emails, which he said he posted about thousands of times and admitted that he didn't find scandalous. Microchip. My talent is to make things weird and strange, so there's controversy. Huh. Yeah. Spirit cooking uh, was real weird and strange. It had lots of pictures of blood rituals and sacrifices, and they tried to throw in some stuff about Hillary Clinton being a Satanist, and it was it was bizarre, but mm-hmm. it was also fun for their audience, and it also meant they didn't have to reflect too long on the Access Hollywood tape and... Trump going around grabbing women's genitals and any sort of scandal or story that wasn't really advantageous to them, they they kind of push that aside. And instead, let's go talk about John Podesta's uh, risotto recipe and see how many <laughs> insinuations yeah. and claims we can make. And that's what they did. And you can't say it wasn't successful. No, because their guy won. Yeah question about what 4chan is. Even as an FBI informant, he's still trolling. 4chan is a place where internet intellectuals get together to discuss different topics. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. This is one of the best ones here. Question about whether he thought fellow poster Ricky Vaughn was funny. Spoken with an air of dismissal. Not necessarily. No. Oh, that, that one, that is the, for this world, for these people, that is like the worst insult you can say because if you're mm-hmm. if you're not funny then you're irrelevant. I don't think people who who don't follow this get that, but I mean this is the the biggest put down they have. Like if you're not funny, you should get off the internet cuz you're you're mm-hmm. ir- irrelevant. You're cringe. You're just you're just cringe. Get off. You're a boomer. And for microchip to turn around <laughs> and say, "Yeah, Ricky wasn't funny." That's bye. <sighs> yeah. Roasted. 
Yeah. Seriously. Like, and it's like saying we carried this guy. We had people that made memes for him. We told him what to post. It's it <laughs> it encompasses so much, but it's essentially it's like saying, yeah, you threw your life away and and you sucked at this. Like you you wanted to, you know, play professional baseball and you couldn't make it past about double you know, A. Double A. Yeah. About double A. Yeah. You gave it your shot, Ricky. You you <laughs> Good good work. You couldn't make investment banking work. You couldn't make shit posting work. You weren't much of a salesman for Smart Checker. I mean, really, you may just be a fail son, Ricky. That may just be where you're at. You're not funny enough to play this game, kid. No. So, other highlights from the testimony. Microchip suggested that it was more for him about destroying Hillary Clinton than about supporting Donald Trump. He also laid out how he used bots and services like Add Me Fast and Fast Followers to make his account more visible on Twitter. He said he spent about $300 a month on these services, and you can bet he was not the only Trump poster who did similar things. Yeah, it's the reason he was able to essentially create this account in, I think, March of 2016 and just immediately insert himself into the conversation. He definitely knew how to game the algorithm and kind of was one of the first who was really pushing these hashtags in a way that managed to, I guess, kind of take over the political conversation, which by 2017, 2018, it got worse and worse until the point that Twitter kind of had to step in and realize how much manipulation is going on here. But he was really one of the first. And yeah, he bragged about the bots and he bragged about knowing what would make the algorithm tick. And he did seem to have a a solid awareness of this. And it was just constant retweet, like quote, tweet, tweet about this, tweet an article, tweet a thing. It was just nonstop. We've heard all this before, but it was interesting to hear it laid out. $300 a month back then would have gotten you quite a few bots. Uh huh. Uh, Yes. Hundreds, thousands. I don't know. A lot. Quite a bit. And some of his bots weren't the best quality as they were. If you were going for the lower quality bots, you could have gotten hundreds of thousands, maybe. It would have been a lot. Yeah. So it, it also is kind of a question of like, were you were you great at posting or, or were you just great at purchasing a, a tool that allowed for mass manipulation? Mm-hmm. And was Twitter, how much, how much is Twitter kind of responsible for allowing this or allowing the the circumstances where someone could game the system this well. And I don't think we'll ever get a real answer on that, but it does, it does make you wonder. Indeed. So finally, I do think we need to talk about this because we read a lot of microchip posts over the years. For our and, sins. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he claimed to be this buff fit dude, chiseled abs he worked out when he wasn't snorting Adderall and configuring botnets. And honestly, maybe some days he claimed to be doing both or yeah. <laughs> one right after the other. But we got a description of him, for, again, from Michael Hayden that I'm going to repeat here. Hayden said that Microchip is a very heavy set man with a neck beard and longish, greasy brown hair. He was wearing a royal blue hooded sweatshirt. Ooh. Not quite the yeah. buff alpha male we were promised, is it? Not quite. Not quite. But it's a it's a good reminder of how much shit on the internet is not just fake, it's preposterously fake. Yeah. Post a note on 
your monitor, your phone, whatever. Go get a post-it. Write that down. Everything you see here is fake <laughs> to some extent. It'll, it'll save you. Really. Yeah. The profile picture is of a person that doesn't exist or it's somebody's picture from 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe once upon a time, Microchip was that guy and maybe he has some sort of... Uh, mental issue, or uh, I don't want to get into. That. Maybe when he looks in the mirror, he's still, that's what he sees. It's what he sees. He identifies as Brock O'Hearn eating an ice cream cone, and that's where we're just going <laughs> to leave it. And you know, should have stopped at one, pal. Oh man! So finally, let's talk about the Trump indictment that wasn't. Why is the GOP going after Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg? Why aren't more MAGA supporters out there protesting in the streets? Well, first, let's recap the case against Trump a little bit. As Andrew Prokop writes for Vox, the first ever indictment of a president, sitting or former, reportedly may be imminent. Former President Donald Trump may soon face indictment and arrest because of his role in a five-year-old scandal, the $130,000 hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is in the final stages of presenting a case to a grand jury. And according to NBC News, law enforcement officials have been preparing for the possibility that Trump will be indicted this week. The grand jury will continue to hear witness testimony on Monday. Trump himself wrote on his social network, Truth Social, that he would, quote, be arrested on Tuesday. That would have been well, this past Tuesday at this point, but continuing here. But it was unclear whether he had a rationale for naming that specific day. Bragg's case reportedly alleges that the Trump organization falsely logged the payment to Daniels as legal expenses so it wouldn't have to be disclosed as money benefiting Trump's presidential campaign. One specific charge would likely be falsification of business records, a misdemeanor offense in New York. But per the Times, Bragg's team has considered arguing that these business records were falsified to cover up another crime, which could mean Trump would be charged with a felony. Ooh. Huh. Are the walls finally closing in? Your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Well, as a reminder of how this supposed Trump indictment story started, let's turn to Liz Johnstone's reporting for NBC News on Saturday, March 18th. Former President Donald Trump said Saturday that illegal leaks had indicated that he would be arrested Tuesday and called on supporters to protest. Trump, in posts on his social media platform, Truth Social, referred to reports that he could soon face potential criminal charges in New York relating to a hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels. Trump did not say whether he had been informed by law enforcement of a coming indictment. A spokesperson for Trump later clarified in a statement that there has been, quote, no notification other than illegal leaks from the Justice Department and the DA's office to NBC, quote, and other news outlets. The spokesperson then added, quote, President Trump is rightfully highlighting his innocence and the weaponization of our injustice system. He will be in Texas next weekend for a giant rally. Make America great again, unquote. <laughs> NBC News reported Friday that law enforcement agencies are prepping for a possible Trump indictment as early as next week. Trump, a candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, decried, quote, illegal leaks that, quote, indicate, unquote, he would be arrested on Tuesday. Protest. Take our nation back, Trump wrote. Republicans on Saturday rallied to Trump's defense and criticized the New York probe, although they stopped short of embracing his desire for protests in the streets. 
He escalated his calls for demonstrations later in the day, writing in another Truth Social post, We must save America. Protest, 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 in all caps. But those protests never really came, did they? Yeah, not so much. As uh, Chris Mathias with the Huffington Post noted of the protest in New York that was organized by the New York Young Republican Club, he said, so many reporters here, I just saw a reporter start interviewing someone, but they turned out to be a reporter too. (laughs) I think at one point he said there was something like five reporters for every protester. So yeah, the whole thing, there were a lot of uh, concerns about, oh God, what is this going to look like? And what's it going to turn into? It Honestly, it kind of reminded me of like, well, you'll remember Unite the Right 2, which <laughs> Unite the Right in Charlottesville was a huge event. And there was a white nationalist who was charged and ultimately convicted in the death of Heather Heyer, a counter-protester at the Unite the Right Charlottesville rallies. And obviously that got a lot of news coverage. Trump had to come out and make a statement and it raised alarm bells around the country. But then they organized Unite the Right too. And I mean, I don't even remember how it was. Honestly, I I remember pictures of that event and I didn't even see anyone protesting. I just saw reporters. I just saw counter protesters. It was, it was like 12 people or less. Nobody showed up. And this looked like the same thing. And I'm I'm not at all surprised. There are a lot of reasons for it, but this was not the time that Trump supporters were gonna get up in arms. No, no. And you know, since since we're talking about media stunts that these people have pulled in the past, it deep cut here. If you remember November fourth, it begins. The idea that there was gonna be an American civil war somehow. There was going to be fighting in the streets between Antifa and the Proud Boys. And it ended up being about, you know, maybe 10 people on each side that showed up anywhere. And some of the MAGA folks were in walkers. I remember one of the descriptions was, you know, blasting Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen as they were getting ready to go do whatever it is. And one of the guys was quoted as saying, I thought there would be a lot more of them here. I thought there would be a lot more of us too. And that has always stuck with me because this is the kind of stunt that Trump has pulled so successfully over the time he's been in the national spotlight like this. He's kind of jumped the gun on a lot of media narratives. He's jumped the gun on a lot of this stuff and said, hey, this whole thing is going to happen. And then all of a sudden we react to it. Everybody reacts to it. And it's based on some flimsy thing like a report that maybe they made up and everybody jumps, everybody reacts. Everybody does what he wants you to do, and he's changed the conversation around the entire thing. He gets his version out before anybody else can. Why is he even getting indicted? What's the case about? What did he do wrong here? What kind of coverage are we getting on things that actually matter versus what Trump wants us to be talking about? Mm -hmm. And he says jump, and, and people say how high. So it didn't. he didn't need a bunch of people protesting in the street to suddenly threaten the Manhattan DA or his office into not doing anything. The threat still is out there and lingers, but mostly he wanted us to not be talking about this hush money payoff Mm -hmm. and a possible indictment of the front runner for the GOP presidential nomination. So he did what he always does. He goes to the, the social media. He makes a very inflammatory post about it. And all of a sudden it's all people are talking about for the next several days until it turns out to be bullshit. 
because it always turns out to be bullshit. And you'd think eventually we'd figure that out. As Vera Bergengruen wrote for Time magazine, Donald Trump's calls for supporters to protest his possible indictment by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg led officials to tighten security in New York and Washington and raised fears of potential violence. But Trump's exhortations were largely met with reluctance from both prominent supporters and by the far-right online acolytes who responded to his rallying cry on January 6, 2021. A demonstration on Monday organized by the New York Young Republican Club outside the Manhattan court where Trump would be arraigned if indicted drew barely 50 people. Only a handful of supporters showed up outside his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida, according to local reports. Distrustful that protests might be traps set by federal law enforcement, the vast majority of pro-Trump online groups seemed to waver between apathy and confusion, showing very little appetite for organized action. He's not infallible, and protest is very vague, one person wrote in a popular MAGA telegram group. Quote, and what exactly does protest protest mean, another person asked in a different group. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you'd think he could give slightly more explicit instructions if he really wanted the tens of millions of people who support him to do something effective. And the Time article adds later in the story, none of the prominent Trump supporters who played key roles in organizing rallies and protests in the past stepped up either, with many of them publicly declaring they were staying out of it. I'm retired Sorry. (laughs) Quote, I'm retired. Unquote. Ali Alexander, a right wing activist and key organizer of the 2020 Stop the Steal rallies that led to January 6th, wrote in a post on the Telegram messaging app. Alexander said he had spoken to Alex Jones, a prominent conspiracy theorist involved in the January 6th rallies. Quote, he's not protesting either. We've both got enough going on fighting the government. Unquote. No billionaire is covering our bills. <laughs> Since Ali Alexander came up, I'd just like to give a, a shout out to Elon Musk, who restored Ali Alexander's quote unquote news organization on Twitter. Ooh. It's uh, at culture with what, three T's? Yeah, culture with three T's, whatever that's about. He was banned a few days after January 6th because he's Ali Alexander and played a key role in, in the events leading up to January 6th. But yeah, now he's his personal account is back on Twitter and his quote-unquote news organization is back. So yeah, loving that, loving that free speech once again. Mm-hmm. So what should we take away from this? Does this mean Trump is over and his support has dried up? No, I saw some people saying that or kind of wondering that aloud, but I wouldn't put it that way. And that's definitely not the case if you look at the recent primary polls. Yeah. Yeah. What it does show is is Trump supporters really do think this was a Fed trap. They were posting memes to this effect almost as soon as Trump called for supporters to show up and protest. You, You have to understand how deep the conspiracy thinking is with this group. And it is, it is quite deep, but like in reality, January 6th took weeks, months of planning and coordination just to get people to DC. We know Charlie Kirk bust several uh, groups of people there and a tweet he has since deleted, but it wasn't just him. It wasn't just one person. It was a lot of money and time and effort and they needed their conversations on parlor and their Facebook groups and people to, to meet up on telegram. Trump can't wave a magic wand and set everything in motion right away. It takes time. I think it's also the difference between Trump in power and Trump sitting in Mar-a-Lago Uh, Like, okay, people can go protest, but to what end exactly? The reality is, as of this recording, nothing has even happened. There's been no charges and indictment. So what 
would be the point of going out there and protesting? When, when would you know it's over? Right. So it seems like maybe the real point of this was the threat of what might happen if Trump is indicted. As in, remember January 6th, imagine how bad it'll be when you put cuffs on MAGA's favorite president. Yeah, the threat is a big part of it. And that's why MAGA influencers and House Republicans are going so hard after Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, who will eventually have to charge Trump if a grand jury moves the case forward. So what has the House GOP actually done to help Trump here? Well, let's let's read from this recent Axios piece. They write, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office reiterated Tuesday that they won't be intimidated by House Republicans amid the investigation of former President Trump. What they're saying, quote, We will not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law, unquote, a spokesperson for Bragg said in a statement, quote, in every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor to uncover the truth. Our skilled, honest and dedicated lawyers remain hard at work, unquote. The state of play, they write that reps Jim Jordan, James Comer, and Brian Stile, all Republicans, sent a letter to Bragg on Monday demanding that he testify before Congress and turn over any documents related to the Trump probe. The GOP lawmakers accused Bragg of perpetrating an, quote, unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority, unquote, and alleged that a, quote, politically motivated, unquote, indictment would interfere in the course of the 2024 presidential election. Here's Jim Jordan. There's been reports in the news that Democrats have been working with Bragg, pushing Bragg, helping Bragg in this in this direction. So that's something that we think is important to understand, not to mention the federal money and this interesting issue. Did this this looks like it sprang out of the special counsel's investigation, the Mueller investigation. So we want to examine it for that reason as well. We may need to change the special counsel statute at some point. Who knows? But that's, I think, an important question we're asking also. We'll see what Mr. Bragg says. He's supposed to get back with us by tomorrow, uh, by tomorrow morning. Trump and his allies have escalated attacks on Bragg ahead of a possible indictment over his alleged hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels in 2016. Bragg reassured his staff in a memo Saturday that efforts to intimidate them or threaten the rule of law will not be tolerated. Wow. The GOP is the law and order party, right? That's still a thing? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the party of law and order and the working class is certainly what they say. <laughs> but the the Democrats are the party of uh, George Soros and right. the Antifa prosecutors or whatever it is. And of course, whenever they can, they bring up the Clintons. Here's Kevin McCarthy doing a phenomenal whataboutism. Look, the thing I think about um, it was interesting. Someone someone briefed me on. Um, the use of money, a situation like this before. And you probably covered this. Remember when the DNC and Hillary Clinton paid the law firm a million dollars and and said that it was for something else, and we found out later it wasn't. It was all about the Russia collusion. It wasn't for legal part. And so they went through, and they got investigated. A million dollars they spent. And you know what? At the end of the day, they didn't get prosecuted. They got fined. Hillary's campaign got fined $8,000, and um, the DNC got fined $100,000. Even though they used a million dollars, they knowingly hid the fact of what they were doing to try to hide. Um, They got investigated. So I look at it from this perspective. 
We live in America and it should be equal justice. Um, this was personal money. This wasn't trying to hide. This was seven years ago, statute of limitation. And I think in your heart of hearts, you know too, that you think this is just political. And I think that's what the rest of the country thinks. And we're kind of tired of that. You even had Ron DeSantis out there who waded into this. And honestly, he's getting really good at wading into things in a way that both pisses off uh, the MAGA base and completely pisses off and alienates anyone that's moderate or on the left. Mm -hmm. He did this with a recent statement on Russia, but he had some like kind of half-hearted poke at Trump about, well, I don't know what goes into paying off a porn star, but then he immediately pivoted from that to saying that Alvin Bragg is a Soros funded DA and we have to stop this madness. And, and, you know, and then Kevin McCarthy is out there saying, Oh, we, we have to stop prosecuting people simply because there are political opponents. The party of locker up says what? Yeah, exactly. The thing about Kevin McCarthy that gets me is that he just, he still sounds like a politician, but he's, he's shitposting. You're, you're not the party over how dare the Democrats prosecute Trump because they don't like him. The orange man bad party is using Soros money to prosecute the orange man they don't like. And it's, look, if Trump committed a crime, then prosecute him. And I don't know what the political ramifications are going to be, but I'm, I'm really tired of this idea that, oh, and we've seen it on the left, on the right, on how dare they? This is banana republic stuff. This is, it's just because they don't like Trump. And look, Michael Cohen already went to jail for this. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't admit that the money was for Trump, but they would admit that he paid this money off and committed a crime here. And they just wouldn't actually name Trump. But it was, if it was a crime, and Michael Cohen has argued this, and it's it's a fair point. If it was a crime for him, yeah. why was it not a crime for the guy he was he was doing this for. If the fixer has to go to jail, then why doesn't the guy who hired the fixer have to go to jail? Yeah, especially if you can prove it, especially if there's evidence, yeah. which it appears there's at least quite, you know, quite a bit of circumstantial, if not, if not more real tangible evidence that ties Trump to this. And I, I did want to say if anyone out there who needs a good reminder of what this case is all about and the context in 2016 and how Trump used this hush money payment to subvert democracy. I would recommend going over to Aaron Rupar's Substack, Public Notice. He's got a great article up on this and a podcast episode that he did that really goes into great detail and explains, hey, we're we're talking about the protests and the, the House GOP intimidation. And okay, we have to, but let's let's remember how we got here. I don't know that this payoff is the reason Trump won, but it's entirely possible if he didn't go through with this, if they hadn't killed this story and tried to essentially buy Stormy Daniels' uh, silence, who knows what would have happened. Right. And... I think it's worth remembering that we can walk and chew gum mm -hmm. and, and let's, let's remember how, how we got here. And I thought that, uh, that Rupar's Substack did a great job of explaining that, right. you know, and then there's, there's been some kind of back and forth with Bragg's office about whether they're going to go forward with this, whether they're not. And okay. That could be related to whether or not there's enough evidence, whether or not they feel like they can get a conviction, but it's also everybody that goes after Trump has to go into it knowing that 
there are going to be a lot of people who come after you and they potentially threaten you. They might even threaten your family. They might take your job. They might look into everything you've, every bit of your mm-hmm. past and try to find a way to, to ruin your life. And they have ruined people's lives. They, they have gotten people fired. They have gotten people taken down with granted legitimate news stories. But if you, if you go into this, if you, if you really go through with prosecuting Trump, there will be consequences. And I think they should, I think Bragg should be willing to live with that. I think in order to uphold the rule of law, you have to just, yeah, you have to accept that. That's the job. And it's, that's the job. Yeah, that's the job. And it's really unfortunate that house Republicans and Kevin McCarthy are not making it any easier and that they are just going along with all of this Mm -hmm. and defending their man but they are. And that's why we've been so critical of him because the house GOP is turning into a MAGA circus and they're already looking into whether or not the government is, is funding this and all the Soros accusations are going to fly and they're doing everything they can to intimidate Mm -hmm. Bragg and his office into not going forward with that. And that is anti-democratic. That is that is mafia tactics. Mm-hmm. That is authoritarianism. And it's it's concerning, but they're doing it anyway. And they've done a phenomenal job of flooding the zone with shit on this. They have done an absolutely wonderful job of getting everybody talking about this on their terms. So if there's one takeaway from this whole particular latest shit show, it's that Trump is always wrong. Trump is always full of shit about this stuff. And he's usually saying it from a very self-serving perspective. There's a point to whatever he's saying, and it's something good for him. So if you are feeling inclined to you know, speculate or worry about it or even get excited about anything that's coming out of that man's mouth, don't. Because he's probably doing it for a reason, and it's probably not a reason you'll like. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as B-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.